stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear Savior's birth lonely the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul fell Amen. Good morning. 
Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Glad to have those of you who have joined us uh, there online, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, any of those platforms. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, follow us, subscribe on YouTube also. Uh, that'll just help you to get those notifications when we go live. And welcome to those who are listening to our phone live streaming. If any of you need that number to share with somebody who doesn't have uh, the internet, please see us after the service. I'd be glad to give that to you. Uh, if you're at home and you want to share that with somebody, call the church office. We'll be glad to share that with you through that way. I want to encourage you also, if you're at home and have access to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com, uh, under the info tab, you'll find the worship bulletin uh, for today, so be sure to get that downloaded. Uh, if you're here in person, those are at the doors, as well as in the windowsills to my right and my left, as well as you'll find the children's worship bulletins uh, over here to my right. So be sure to grab uh, those this morning. You can find those under the info tab on the website there, as well as the prayer list. So just wanted to encourage you to get those things uh, downloaded there. Looking forward to a wonderful service. A lot of things coming up uh, as we get closer to the Christmas season. Uh, you'll hear some announcements later about some things. So uh, prayer, prayerfully pray for our service this morning. Uh, as the Lord speaks to your heart, may you respond as he leads you to. Brother Mike. Luke 2.17 says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning this child. Stand with us, please, this morning, and let's all sing Go Tell It on the Mountain, hymn number 95. Yeah. 
Amen. As you notice in your bulletins, uh, we have our missionary moment of the week, Justin and Michaela Nippers, uh, who are serving in Osaka, Japan. Uh, but you might not have ever heard of the kind of ministry that they are doing through the International Mission Board uh, in sharing the gospel through virtual worlds on the internet. And so let me just share this video with you so you can gain some insight uh, from them on what they are doing in sharing the gospel. There's people that I've met that are like, I wake up, go to work, go in VR. Sometimes I sleep in VR and then I wake up and do it all over again. And who else is going to evangelize to them? If Dr. Taco never evangelized to me, I don't know where I would be today. In virtual reality, they are real people all around the world that are genuinely looking for some type of social interaction to fill some void in their life that they might be missing in real life. They're people that are lost. They become recluse or shut in to where they don't want to go into the real world again, so they retreat to the virtual world. I was very unhappy in my life. I became an alcoholic. I just became so depressed and spiteful of everybody around me. To get away from that, I just wanted to be alone with other people that were also lonely and introverted. And so I eventually found this game called VR Chat. In virtual reality, people are inherently more sinful than they are in real life. Whenever I was in VR, you know, I would drink and I would just ruin everybody's day. I would say very hateful things to them, I'd say very hurtful things to them. And so a lot of people in virtual reality, they, they do that. They're able to open up about their sins and they're able to hang out with people that enables them to continue to be even more sinful than they, than they would be in real life. That day, I was just hanging out by myself, drinking, and there's this guy and he's testing out his new avatar. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, five, four, three, two. And this tiny two foot tall Nutella jar with a face and legs comes running up to us and starts kind of like making fun. And so I was saying, we're gonna go in and head out. But one of my friends named Silver stayed behind and actually got to talk to Michaela more. And Silver, she was just sitting alone by herself. So I started talking to her. You know, I was a little drunk at the time. And so I started like sharing all of my woes to her. She was like, there's this guy named Dr. Taco. And I was like, oh, that's the guy I just made fun of. Dr. Taco and I start talking and I'm like, hey, you know, my life is actually really awful. And he said, you can fix that with Jesus. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he starts to share the gospel with me. And he continues to share the gospel with me. It started to like fill this void in my heart that I've been chasing with alcohol. And instead of like filling that void with hatred, I wanted to have my heart filled with Jesus. So my husband and I now, we do virtual ministry, which is just like any other real life ministry, except you go into a video game and you tell people about Jesus. That's just a tool. That's just one of the many, many, many tools missionaries are using to reach out to the lost around them. It's not very much different, except for maybe you're sharing the gospel with, you know, like a SpongeBob character, or you're sharing the gospel with a carrot with legs or a banana with sunglasses. VRChat is that same avenue to bring people from where they are without Christ to a relationship and a life with Christ. Although virtual reality isn't the real world, there's real people inside of it, and there's real people there that need the gospel. For most of us who are here this morning, 
That's a total foreign concept to us, using virtual reality. For some of you, you may be involved in some of those virtual reality chat uh, places. And so uh, we just want to encourage you to be praying for Justin and Michaela Nippers, uh, who are serving from our International Mission Board to reach those. And there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people uh, who are all across the world who are hurting. Uh, who are in need of the gospel. And this is just one way in which we can help and support them in sharing the gospel. If you want to read more about them, they're on day two uh, in your prayer guide. So be sure to grab one of those this morning if you didn't get one last Sunday. Uh, those are in the windowsills and at the doors uh, as you leave this morning also. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for Justin and Michaela Nippers and our offering for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Heavenly Father, thank you for such an innovative ministry of sharing the gospel that many of us, Lord, would never have an opportunity to be involved in, but there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world from different cultures and different places and uh, different genres, Lord, who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many who that's all they do all day long and the next day and the next day, who are hurting, who are lost without Jesus. Uh, they're going through all kinds of, of depression and all kinds of other things. And so, Father, I just pray that you will bless the nippers, uh, Lord, that you will open up opportunities for them to share the gospel. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would send more laborers into the harvest in ways like that where maybe we don't even have to leave uh, our home place, but we can communicate with people uh, around the world through social media, through virtual worlds, through uh, all of those different platforms. And so, Father, I just pray that you will uh, continue to open up opportunities for us to share the gospel with those who are hurting and in need of salvation. But Lord, we also pray uh, that you would burden upon our hearts what you would have us to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to help us to reach our goal uh, of sharing the gospel, Lord, with those people around the world and supporting those missionaries. Father, bless us that we might be a blessing to the nations of the world. And we just thank you for the wonderful privilege we have to be a part of this through this special offering. So we pray, God, for your will to be done. Uh, watch over our missionaries, guard their hearts, guard their minds, protect them. And Lord, we just pray that you'll help them to be bold witnesses in sharing the good news of the gospel. Bless our service this morning as we come to worship you and we give everything we have and all that we are to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, let me just remind you, too, that you can do your offering there online, uh, HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab, easy platform there uh, that's set up there that you can do a one-time gift. You can do a recurring gift, so I encourage you to take the time to do that. If you want to do that in person, offering envelopes should be in the pews in front of you. If not, there are some at the wall back there as well as uh, the doors. Uh, as you leave this morning, you can place those in the offering plates at the doors. And then we also have uh, our, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering envelopes. They're uh, this blue and white, so you'll find those, and that's what you can put your Lottie Moon Christmas offering in. They're also uh, in the windowsills. If you're one of our first-time guests here, or maybe a, for a guest that, that's not been here in a while, we want to encourage you to pick up uh, one of our gift bags. I think most of them are on this side of the stage right now. There are some at the doors as you leave. Uh, it's just a gift that we want to give to you that says welcome. It's got some information about our church. Uh, it's got some other gifts in it that we want to give to you uh, to say thank you so much for being here with us this morning. So be sure to pick up one of those this morning before you leave. Brother Mike. Take your hymnals now or join us on the screens and sing hymn 86 of Little Town of Bethlehem.
children will be gathering on the piano side for Children's Church. And uh, please turn with us now to 586. And it goes along with Go Tell It on the Mountain because we have a story to tell and it is our uh, duty to do it. And that's to share God's love. We have a story to tell, page 586. Stand with the choir if you would and let's sing all four verses. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to Luke's Gospel as we continue our walk through the life of Jesus. We're getting very close to the end 
uh, but we're not quite there yet. And there's so much in these last chapters of the Gospels here, and especially what we want to share with you this morning. So Luke chapter 24, I've entitled this message, A Day of Discovery. We're going to begin with verse 13 and verse 14. So would you stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word? That very day, <clears throat> two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy, for your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord for this passage, and we pray, God, that you will speak your truth into our hearts. May your word go forth and not return void. And Father, I pray that you will uh, just lead us through this, that your spirit will use it to stir our hearts. That if we're here this morning and we don't know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, Lord, may today be the day of salvation for us. And if we are already saved, we've already trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then Father, I pray this message will also stir our hearts. Lord, to be reminded of the discovery that we have experienced of knowing Jesus as our Savior, of, of knowing that we are going to spend eternity with you in heaven, and Father, that we would be sure to tell that to the nations around us, to share the good news of the gospel message, especially in this season when so many are more receptive uh, to the gospel uh, than seems like at many other times of the year. So help us, Lord, to be faithful servants, faithful stewards, faithful messengers, and may you bless this message this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. And you be seated. As you think about what has happened in the previous passages thus far, Jerusalem has reverberated with the aftershocks. Here is Jesus of Nazareth who had just been crucified. It would have made national headlines if it was something that had happened today. Everyone knew about the execution, and everyone seemed to have an opinion about this prophet from Galilee. For some, his death relieved them. Uh, his presence in the temple city had disrupted and, and even traumatized their lives. And now with his passing, it was like for them, they could just go back to, to living as normal in, in their everyday life. They could proceed with a, a normal every year Passover feast and not have to worry about things. For others, however, his death meant mourning and despair, grief, flooded their hearts. Not the grief over the death of a loved one, but the, the grief that's associated with uh, the death of a national hero, uh, even a would-be national hero. I mean, because think about it, they had believed in him. They had believed he was the Messiah. They had believed and they had hoped and they had trusted that he was the one who the prophets of old in the Old Testament had talked about who was the coming deliverer who was going to free them from the Roman domination in their lives. But the object of their hopes had been lifted up on this cross. He had been forced to hang there until he was dead by the hands of the very Roman Empire that they thought he was supposed to conquer. When he had been placed in a tomb. As far as his mourners knew, there was no hope in bringing him back. Their hope 
was gone. He was dead. They were devastated. They were in shock. Then, on Sunday morning, on the third day, the stories began to circulate. His body wasn't where it had been laid. Many were saying that he had risen from the dead. People reported seeing him. Ten reports altogether, and five of those in one day. Early on the first Easter Sunday, he appeared, as we've already looked at, to, to Mary Magdalene and then later to the women who were returning to the tomb. And, and soon after that, he shows himself to ten of his disciples assembled in the upper room, also to Peter in a private appearance. But then the fifth appearance was perhaps the most astonishing of all. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like you just don't have enough life to give what life demands. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough energy. You don't have enough brain power to, to pull off what you need to pull off. There's not enough of you to go around. Or, or maybe your problem isn't professionally related, but, but personally related. You're discouraged. You're facing a situation that to you appears to be hopeless. Maybe you're angry or maybe you're bitter because of a wrong that's been done to you in the past. Maybe you're on a guilt trip and, and you just don't see any exit anywhere. Maybe you're just stressed out and overwhelmed like Jesus was in the garden. I want you to go back 2,000 years and think about what was going on on that last night before the resurrection. You remember? That's the night Jesus had prayed in the garden. And do you remember? They were there with him. And there was that inner circle of, of, of faithful disciples there, of Peter, James, and John, who had gone before, and they were there with Jesus a little bit further than the rest of the disciples. But you remember when they came to arrest Jesus, what happened to all the disciples? They left. They fled. They ran. They were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed with guilt. Because think about it. They had run out on Jesus. I mean, Jesus had always been there for them when they needed him. But the one time that he needed them, they scattered like chickens in a barnyard. They were overwhelmed with worry. They were known as his disciples. And the Pharisees had killed him, their leader, and so they're starting to think, who's next? Is it going to be us? They were not only overwhelmed with worry, they were also overwhelmed with anger. They're angry at the Pharisees for having Jesus killed. They're angry for the way that they had mistreated him, all of his ministry. They were angry at the Romans for crucifying him. They were angry even at themselves for acting like cowards. They were overwhelmed with worry. They were overwhelmed with anger. They were overwhelmed with discouragement. They had put everything they had on Jesus. But it came up a loss. It was like they had bet the ranch and gone all in on Jesus, and it looked like they had lost. Where would they turn? Who would they turn to? Jesus was gone. But Sunday morning came, and the resurrection changed everything. 
This passage that we're looking at here this morning deals with, with, with those major things in our life that, that sometimes seem to overwhelm us. Things like stress and anger and bitterness and discouragement. It deals with something that can be so overwhelming that it can drive you to suicide. You know, it seems like there are more suicides during the holidays than there is at any other times of the year. Because people give up hope. There's no way out. It drains them. Uh, the things of life drain them uh, and drain the happiness out of their life and, and any joy out of their heart and, and really sucks the air right out of you. And they're overwhelmed with guilt. So skeletons in the closet that, that just about the time that we think that, that we, they've been forgotten, they come rattling out again into our memory. Whether that's a failed marriage or DUI, or a one-night stand, an absent parent, maybe it's sexual abuse or a broken friendship. Understand this, guilt is a ghost that will haunt you and hinder you and hurt you till the day you die unless you take it to the cross and an empty tomb. Jesus appears here in these verses that we're going to see to these two men on this road to Damascus. And be reminded of that as we read through this story, that they are overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with guilt. They're overwhelmed with despair. They're overwhelmed with discouragement. But after a discussion with Jesus, they discover the answer to their problems. Look again, if you will, at verse 13 and verse 14. That very day... The very day that those ladies had gone to the tomb and found it empty and, and, and not everybody knew what had happened, that those ladies had told them, had told the disciples who were back in the upper room that, that Jesus was alive, but not everybody had heard that yet. And it's that very day that these two were going to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So get the picture, as the, as the sky darkened toward dusk, Jesus appears to these two men who are traveling uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, seven miles is a little bit less than a, uh, it's a little bit more, if you will, about, than a two-hour journey, uh, a bit over seven miles. These two men were disciples of Jesus. They were probably among those 72 that Jesus had sent out to, to be witnesses. They were with the 11, the, the 12 minus Judas, to whom Mary Magdalene and the other women came with that incredible news that Jesus' tomb was empty, was being guarded by two angels who told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. And do you know what? Nobody believed them. The text says... There in verse 11, when they had told, it says, but these words seemed to them an idle tale when the ladies came to share, and they did not believe them. Peter and John, you remember, they went to investigate the tomb, but everybody else had remained behind. And two of those who didn't believe were the pair of men who were traveling to Emmaus that day. Uh, they had heard the witness of the women, and yet they held on to their doubts. They held on to their sadness. They held on to their grief and despair. Why the journey to Emmaus? We don't know for sure. 
But you could just imagine that they were taking this trip to just get away from it all. We've got to get out of town. We've got to get away from the situation. It's just too much. I need a break. You ever find yourself at that place? Sometimes you just need a break. You just need to get away from things. Maybe that's why uh, these two men were on their way to Emmaus, to, to escape Jerusalem's hopelessness, to, to clear their minds, to return to their homes and, and think about a new direction for their lives. But evidently God has a different purpose in mind. Because on the way, they, would, they were intercepted by this mysterious stranger, and because of this encounter, uh, they would never be the same. What started as a physical journey quickly becomes a spiritual journey as well. And, and interestingly enough, the most detailed record of any of Jesus' uh, post-resurrection appearances doesn't involve Mary, doesn't involve Peter or any of the known disciples. It involves two unknowns, two men who are not specifically mentioned up to this point in scriptures. But wouldn't it be just like Jesus to do that? He's not partial to the well-known. He doesn't gravitate towards the famous. He comes to the meekest and the weakest of us to bring us his joy and gladness into our lives. So as we read Luke 24, 13 through 35, it may be one of the most dramatic presentations in the whole New Testament. This story takes place on this road from Jerusalem uh, to Emmaus with this one man that we do know his name, Cleopas. We've never heard of him before. First time his name is ever mentioned, Cleopas and his friend. While they're on this road, this mysterious stranger joins them and then in Emmaus, they prepare to share a meal. So we've seen here first uh, the, the, the despair as they're traveling this road, as they're on their way out of town to get away from things. And then we want to skip down, if you will, to verse 21. I want you to see the discouragement. The discouragement. You know, discouragement seems to have three levels. Doubt comes first. These two disciples had heard the testimony of Mary Magdalene. They had heard the testimony of the other women, and yet they didn't believe. Disappointment naturally followed that. And look at what verse 21 says. They said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. All of their dreams, all of their hopes for the future had been crucified with Jesus on that cross. They probably had heard uh, from Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. They believed he was the Messiah, that he was the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies. And yet now this one in whom they have invested all of their hopes has been taken to a cross and been crucified. For all they knew, he was still dead despite the rumors, despite the stories. Their discouragement didn't stop with doubt. It didn't stop with disappointment. However, it spiraled even further until it reached the point of despair. All hope 
had been abandoned. You get that in the text, in the words that they're saying. They're saying that three days have passed since the crucifixion and nothing, nothing. There had been no credible news that they could pin any new hope on. And so as they're walking that road back to Damascus here, they're overwhelmed with discouragement. Look at verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. They're discouraged. Here's Cleopas and his friend. They've got a problem. They were bitterly disappointed. They were disheartened. This wasn't just a, a just down for the day. No, they were in despair. They were disheartened. They were disappointed. I mean, think about it. The nails driven through Jesus' hand and feet had not only punctured his hands and his feet, but it had punctured uh, their belief and their hopes were leaking out. Uh, it's been three days. What hope is there? And so just when they had concluded that Jesus was the Messiah, now they're thinking nothing's been what it seemed. They couldn't make any sense of it. There wasn't any explanation that was plausible or, or powerful enough to lift their heavy despondency. And so they stopped, and they were sad. But then notice the discussion, the discussion that happens. It begins in verse 15 down through verse 16. So while they were talking and discussing together, they had been having a discussion amongst themselves. Jesus himself <coughs> drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing. So all of a sudden, in what appears to be the moment of their greatest despair, when it seems like all hope is lost, Jesus shows up. You know, he's just like that for you and me this morning. When you reach that point in your life where you feel like, I just can't take it anymore, it's over, I'm done, there's no hope for me, if you'll look and you'll listen, Jesus will show up at the right moment, at the right time. Notice here, this mysterious man appears. The text tells us that he drew near. That expression there conveys the idea that Jesus had been walking behind them. He, he had been walking behind them for some distance, and he's hearing some of their discussion, and he quickens his pace. He's hurrying his pace to get there a little bit quicker. He's trying to catch up to them, and he's out behind them, and he draws near to them. Here's Jesus coming up behind them, and notice what happens here. Instead of two... Now there's three. Cleopas and his friend had been discussing how their hopes had been dashed by Jesus' crucifixion, and at that very moment, the very one they had been discussing joins them on the road and begins to talk with them. Now, the, the men confessed their knowledge of Jesus. They believed he was a prophet. They talked about his mighty works. They called him a redeemer. It's surprising how much you can believe without believing enough. Let's pick up, if you will, 
with verse 16 again it said, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17 again, and he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So the thing we see here is they had held him as a miracle worker, but they had not yet processed the one thing they needed to believe, that he was risen from the dead. It's possible to be a Christian and not understand the resurrection, but it's not possible to be a Christian and disbelieve in the resurrection. If Jesus Christ didn't come out of the grave victorious over death, then he did not tell the truth. And if he didn't tell the truth, he cannot be God. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17 says, If Christ is not risen, you are still in your sins. And so these two disciples, they had believed everything about Jesus except for the essential thing. Uh, they believed Jesus was a good man. There are a lot of people today who believe Jesus was a good man. They believed he was a prophet. There are those who believe he was a prophet. They believed he was a redeemer, a miracle worker. But he had said he had to rise from the dead, and they didn't know that he had done that very thing at this moment. They were discouraged, they were sad, and they talked about those recent events as Jesus came up behind them and began to speak to them. And this is how those men answered him in verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And notice the beginning of verse 19. And he said to them, what things? Let me ask you this. If Jesus is God, he knows everything, right? Why in the world is he asking these, these two followers, these two disciples, such a question? What things? Our guess is, is that he wanted to draw from them what he already knew they were thinking. And so as he had done so often with the 12, he, he wanted to expose their lack of faith. But even more than that, I think Jesus was giving us, the future readers of this account, an example of how to deal with people who are in deep disbelief. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? He said to them, what things? Verse 19. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had even, they, they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And so we see here Jesus is just naturally walking with them. He's, he's easily conversing with them, and only at the appropriate moment does he open the Scriptures to them. Verse 25. 
he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. You know, there are some people today who say, you can't learn about Jesus from the Old Testament. You have to learn about Jesus from the New Testament. But where does Jesus go to to speak to these disciples? He goes to the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love preaching from the Old Testament because there is so much there that points us forward as it would have uh, the Jewish people. It points us forward to the Messiah. It points us forward to Jesus Christ. Then when you read the New Testament, you begin to see the revelation of it, how it's all revealed, uh, of the truth of the, the Old Testament prophecies. And so Jesus, he preaches about himself through Moses and the prophets through the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is a picture in advance of the Messiah who is presented in detail in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Wouldn't you just love to know what Jesus said when he opens the scriptures and teaches them concerning himself? You know, I've often wondered, what's the passages that he used? Did he tell the story about Abraham and, and Isaac on Mount Moriah and the sacrifice Isaac was going to be, how Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice his only son? Did he go back to, to share the gospel from Isaiah 53 and verse 6 that says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know what the scriptures are, but it tells us uh, that he uses the Old Testament, he uses Moses and the prophets, and he interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then, verse 28. So they drew near to the village, to the village of Emmaus, to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. So get the picture as they're, they're nearing the turnoff, the, the, the split in the road, the, the, the fork in the road, if you will, uh, to go over to Emmaus. They come to that fork, and we see that Jesus acts like he's going to go on farther down the main road. But Cleopas and his friend, they insist that Jesus go with them for the night and stay with them for the night. And, and Jesus agrees, and together they walk towards the village. And notice the discovery they make in verse 30, down through verse 31. Verse 30 begins and says, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So get the picture in the image here. When they arrived at home, probably one of their homes, they sit down for this evening meal. 
Jesus opens up the scriptures to them. He's opened up their eyes so they could see. But it wasn't the opening of the scriptures and it wasn't the opening of their eyes that caused them to recognize Jesus. They discovered it was Jesus when he took that bread and he broke it for the evening meal to give to them. Now remember, these two men, they've been on this long journey. It had been a very long day. I mean, they are emotionally spent. They came in. They sat down at the table. Jesus takes over. Wasn't his home, yet he broke custom by distributing the food. He asked the blessing. He presided over the meal, even though he's only a guest. He took the bread and he began to prepare it and he broke off a couple of pieces and he handed it to those men. And Cleopas and that other man, they looked down and they take the bread out of his hands and what did they see? The nail prints in his hands. Could you imagine their reaction? I wonder what they said. I mean, I could just imagine Cleopas turning to his friend right there and saying, Look, look, it's him. It's him. The one that we've been talking about is right here in front of us. He's here himself. And then just as quickly as he had joined them on that road, he vanishes from their sight. Just think about the incredible change that took place in the hearts of these men. They were at their lowest that they had ever been in their lives. They were ready to call it quits, ready to give up. And because of Jesus, their lives are turned completely upside down. Think about their feelings at the beginning of this journey. Think about the lesson of the scripture they had received. Imagine uh, seeing the resurrected Christ just a few hours earlier. They were ready to give up on life. Their hopes were gone. And now watch what happens in the difference in their hearts in verse 32 down through verse 35. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then verse 35, they told what had happened on the road to Emmaus and, when, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Their hearts had burned on that journey. But it was the breaking of the bread that revealed who Jesus was. These men had endured a long day to travel. They were preparing to feed themselves physically, emotionally exhausted bodies, and then Jesus vanishes. And then notice the difference that happens in their lives. They are so energized that they get up and they take the journey back. Just a few minutes ago, they were exhausted, they were tired, they were sitting down for a meal, uh, the, the, the hope was gone, and now because of Jesus revealing himself to them and the change that happens in their heart, you see the difference here, that they are so energized, they get up, they take the trip back to Jerusalem that very night, seven plus miles to find where the disciples were. 
Just an hour before, they wouldn't have had the energy or the desire to make such a trip. But now after seeing Jesus be encouraged by his presence, they're ready to fly. They're ready to go. Back to Jerusalem they went. They find the disciples. They tell them about this life-changing experience. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. And the Bible says he had opened the Scriptures. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? Then Luke 24, in verse 35... He opens their mouths. They told what had happened on the road. And they couldn't stop talking about the one they had seen. They couldn't help but tell what they had seen and what they had heard. You know, we're celebrating Christmas here in just a couple of weeks. And when they are here telling what they have seen and heard, it reminds me about those shepherds who heard about the birth of Jesus from the angels. And they went and they found that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And Luke chapter 2 verse 20 tells us that when they returned, they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen as it had been told to them. They couldn't help but tell others about this baby Jesus. Here were these two disciples who their lives are changed now. And they cannot help but tell others about Jesus. Did you know that the greatest encouragement that we'll ever know is the giving of Jesus Christ to our world? It's through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. Jesus has written the word hope in every heart. I mean, think about it. Because he lives, we can live too. Because he was victorious over death, our future is bright. As we think about the difference in their hearts and the encouragement of Jesus' resurrection, we ought to respond in two definite acts of love. Both of these responses are illustrated to us by Paul. They're recorded in the last two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible's greatest resurrection chapter. First... We ought to express our gratitude to our Father in heaven. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's nothing else that you get from this passage this morning, get this, that if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you ought not to be able to help but to tell others about the victory that you have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But secondly, we see that Paul says something else that we ought to do, as Paul did, to use the truth of Christ's resurrection to encourage others. There are a lot of people around you who this may be the most celebrated time for you. You may be having parties. You may be experiencing a lot of joy. But there's a lot of people around us who are in despair and hopelessness and despondency. And they need a word of hope. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding 
in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Think about it. There's both the victory and the fruitful labor for us, all because of the resurrection. These two men, they enjoyed the benefits of both of those almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus broke that bread with them, and it changed their lives forever. Here's what I want you to know this morning. That same blessing is offered to you today. Filled with that identical life-changing power that transformed their lives. And all it takes is having your eyes opened to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the resurrected Jesus who equips and strengthens you to encourage others when you meet him. And so if the resurrected Jesus who can change your life and, and make a difference in your heart... He is risen from the dead. It's He who can change your life. You're here this morning, and you've never trusted by faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. There is no greater opportunity than this moment that you have. You're not promised another opportunity. You may not make it through the rest of the day. I want to encourage you to trust by faith in Jesus today. All you have to do is call out to him and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died in my place on that cross. He was buried in that tomb and arose on the third day to give me salvation. Jesus, come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. You just put that in your own words and you pray that with your, your own heart. There's no magical words for you to say. That's just a guide to, to guide you in your time of prayer. But cry out to the Lord and ask for salvation. Trust in Him who is risen from the dead and He will transform and change your life just like He did these two disciples. And if your life is here this morning that you've been transformed already, you've already trusted by faith in Jesus, why aren't you telling others? All too often, we've grown farther away from that time where we trusted by faith in Jesus. And we become routine in our lives. We're just going through the motions. I want to challenge you to ask God to stir your heart, to open your mouth, to reveal himself more faithfully to you, more fully to you, that you might share the gospel with those around you before it's too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. What a powerful, powerful passage from the, the example and life of these two pretty much unknowns in the New Testament. Lord, there's none of us who are here this morning that are famous. We're all unknowns. But yet you want to use us Lord, you have sent your son Jesus to down a cross for our sins, and I pray that there would be those who would call out to you for salvation. Lord, I also pray for those of us who are here as believers this morning, Lord, that we would be emboldened in our faith more than ever before to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, there's some people who are hurting in Tennessee and the Nashville area this, this morning who yesterday... They had no idea that was their last day. 
Father, there are people that we've had their funerals recently. And they didn't know that was going to be their last day. None of us know. And especially for us as believers, Lord, I pray that we would live every single day of our lives as if this were the last day. Lord, that we would make the most of opportunities that you place across our path, that we would be seeking, Lord, your spirit to fill us and to be used by you to share that good news of the gospel. Lord, maybe it's just reaching out and talking to our neighbors, maybe inviting them over for one of those Christmas parties you're having. Begin to talk with them. Lord, may you open up those conversations for us to share the gospel. Lord, empower us, change us, transform us, use us to share the good news of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 318, as the Lord lays on your heart, would you come this morning, Brother Mike, would you come and lead us? Let's stand. Precious way in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated for just a moment, Brother Ben, if you'll come and share our announcements. Go first. 
I guess some of you have noticed there's not a prime timers list up. Well, don't fear, we're having prime timers just as always. But we felt with everybody bringing a, a dish and everything, we didn't need to know a number. So uh, just uh, bring your finger food, bring your $10 gift if you want to play Santa. You don't have to play Santa, you can still just come and eat. We won't make anybody play. Uh, but if you want to play, bring a $10 gift. And uh, I saw in the bulletin it said no desserts. Well, don't panic. We're going to have desserts. Jewel has graciously uh, said she would make all the desserts. So you know we wouldn't have prime timers without desserts. Uh, <laughs> so I'll see you Tuesday at 12 with for some good fellowship and food and a little Christmas cheer. I can speak firsthand experience of Aunt Jewel's cooking about this much. <laughs> if y'all remember what I looked like in high school and what I looked like after I graduated college, a lot of that was Aunt Jewel. <laughs> um, a couple announcements is to uh, deacons meeting tonight at 4 o'clock, and then we have a business meeting tonight at 6. Um, some things that have happened, so uh, Rick German had surgery, and good news, praise the Lord, it went really well. Um, Susie Barton, she's being moved from Morning Point to NHC. She's fallen, and so she's going to be at NHC uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, some things to keep in mind. Um, please keep in mind uh, Ken Jordan's family. They had a memorial remembrance service this week. And uh, also the, we had the service for Dee Dee Henderson this, this week. Uh, so please keep the the Hendersons and your, their family, extended family, in your prayers. Um, does anybody else have anything else they want to say? So Johnny's going to have his second back surgery because the first one didn't work. All right, so keep Johnny in your prayers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. We recognize your power in the rain and the wind that we see and the sun that's out there today. We know that you are in control. We ask for your guidance and forgiveness and for your companionship to us and to those who've recently lost loved ones and, and from the weather like yesterday to those who this will be the first Christmas that they'll spend either alone or without a loved one. Just help your comfort be given to them through us, through their community, all guided by your hand. Forgive us of our failures. In your son Jesus' name, amen.